But as we settle in, uh, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, where today uh, we're going to close out this chapter by looking at the writer's encouragement to not turn away in the face of persecution and the way in, in moments of being pressured uh, to look back and even uh, turn back to perceived comforts. But rather, what the writer is going to call us to today is to remember the past as a mark of perseverance and then respond by continuing on in one's faith. Where we're coming to a point in this letter where we're about to dive into probably one of the most famous passages in Hebrews. But what we're going to see is really the writer at the end of 10 today is going to kind of tie a bow on not just the last three weeks that we've been in it. But really as we see, man, just the building of this letter. So if you remember all the way back when we started, what we noted was that uh, Hebrews was written because there was a threat uh, to uh, the, the early church, right? So this group of people that this letter is being written to, uh, they are likely uh, Jewish Christians. So they were formerly followed in Judaism and now have, uh, man, begun to follow Jesus. They've had their lives transformed by the grace and mercy uh, of God through the blood of the Son. But what's happening now, is in light of uh, persecution, in light of uh, various threats, they are, man, they're thinking about maybe the grass is greener over there. Maybe things uh, will be better. Maybe things will be more comfortable. Maybe things will cool down a little bit in our lives. And so there's this threat of apostasy that we've looked at uh, a variety of times uh, during Hebrews. But in response to that threat, what the writer does is he just, man, presses over and over against it by pointing us to Jesus. And so the way we've kind of broken this up is we began by looking at the reality that Jesus is greater, right? What's the answer to always to the question? Jesus. I preached a couple of weeks ago in Clifton and I shared that, you know, I said, hey, here's some wisdom for you. Jesus is the answer. And the next day I I get a text from my old student pastor and he said, hey, I got this from my wife and she was doing a Bible study and there was three questions. And all she wrote was Kyle was right because the answer to all three of the questions in the study was Jesus. And so Jesus is the answer. He is greater, right? He's greater Moses. He He's the great high priest. Uh, but in light of his greatness, what we saw, because because of his greatness, we now have confidence in Christ. We have confidence in, due to the fact that he is our great high priest. And what that's led us to is where we've been sitting recently. Which we are looking at uh, that, that the gospel leads us to a life of walking not only by faith, but in faith. You see, our lives as Christians are to be lives that are marked by active faith. And I would say even proactive faith as we uh, uh, grow and learn and, and then are called to go and make disciples. And so the last three weeks, really the last two weeks, and this week we're gonna, we, we've been looking at this call to perseverance. And really we've seen this call to perseverance come in three ways. First, uh, the, the writer says, hey, if you want to walk and, and persevere, one thing you're gonna need is not more self-help books, is not a uh, do-better attitude. The, the, where the writer goes is you're gonna need community. The writer says community is key. 
to perseverance, that we need one another. We're going to see that even in the text today. And then last week, we, we looked at a text, again, that, that, that up front looks, it's difficult, it's hard, but man, it's this warning. But also, I, I, as I read, it was a plea to persevere. And the question I asked last week is, where else do you have to go? If apostasy is the only other option, where else do you have to go? You see, Jesus is not only the answer, He is our only hope. And so today we're going to see this call to persevere uh, through remembering that, but it's a remembering that leads to a response. This call today is going to lead us into the infamous faith chapter of Hebrews 11, where we're going to see that as followers of Jesus, our lives of faith are connected and encouraged by the walks of faith of those who came before us, and also that, that our lives are to connect and encourage each other today and those who will follow Jesus in the future. You see, our lives are to be marked by faith. And so if last week one of our questions was, where else do we go in the face of persecution and hardship and circumstances? Then the question I would present today is, what do you have to lose? Like, in light of Christ's finished work, what do you have to lose. Now, now, apart from Christ's finished work, you have everything to lose. But in Christ, what do you have to lose? So this weekend, if I, I got the privilege of running lyrics and live stream and, and, and being a part of uh, the, the times, but Friday night, David Platt got up and man, he, it was phenomenal. Um, and he, he began to share, and, and as he shared, he, he made a statement that, stru- that stuck with me, and I believe leads well into our time in the Word today. So David was talking, and he was, he was expressing just that, man, in this season that he finds himself in in life, they were going through a, a really, uh, man, hard time. There's a lot of hardship and struggle, and so he's wrestling, and, and, and uh, as he's wrestling... He, he tells this story, and I believe he was with his wife at dinner. And they're talking about just the way their life is going right now. And he looked at his wife and he said, but, but honey, if God, if the goal is God, then that means that these are great days. If the goal is God, then these are great days. Which to the world around, like, that, that, those things, that's like a double negative, right? Like things are hard and yet these are great days. You see, if the goal is God, and I believe what he means by that is a deep abiding relationship with the creator and savior and sustainer of all things, then these are great days. In the good times, these are great days. In the hardship, in the victory, in the loss, these are great days. But you see, the question to that arises, do we believe that? And are we living as if we have nothing to lose? Are we living as if these are great days? For through Christ, we truly have nothing of eternal value to lose. And so with that before us, I just want us to jump right in. Uh, by reading Hebrews 10, we're going to begin in verses 32 through 34. It says this. But recall the former days 
When after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Okay, so what we see from the start of this text is that the gospel, which we simply say the gospel is Jesus in my place, produces a radical way of seeing life, but also a radical way of living. See, the gospel, man, it changes not only our lives, but how we live. And man, what we see in this text is we respond in radical ways. Really, as we see, the writer uses uh, is going to present two ways today. First, we remember and then we respond. And here in 32 through 34, we see how the remembrance of past struggles actually encourages a response. For the writer begins uh, with a call to uh, a call to recall or remember the former days when after understanding the gospel, these people endured a hard struggle with suffering. Simply stated, the writer is saying that that, uh, to these people and to us to have hope and to persevere, because if you remember God has you remember what God has brought you through in hardship and struggle, and you remember that He's done that before, not only do you remember it, it gives you boldness as we're going to see. The writer says, because of that, have faith that He'll do the same again. You see, in its most simple form, the writer's just saying, just remember. Remember what God has done. Remember how He has delivered you. Remember His steadfast love. So just remember today. Now I want to say that while that sounds good, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, remembrance, specifically remembrance that bears the fruit of faith, is something that we can all struggle with when faced with hardship, right? Like for me, when when struggle arises, when hardship arises, uh, remembrance is at times not my first response. I think if I was going to describe my first response, it's probably pity party. Or some type of fit, be it internal or external. Like, is that how you find yourself in moments and in seasons? Maybe for you it is a fit. Maybe it is a pity party. And maybe what you do is it's not just with you. You have some people that you know you can go to. And they're going to just amp up that pity party. They'll be like, oh yeah. Instead, what we should do is we should remember. And if you are part of those people, what we should do is we should stop revving that up. And say, actually, no, let's remember what God has done. And so when we think about this, like, why do we struggle to stop and remember in the face of hardship? Well, I, I thought about it, and here, here's just a few reasons. I believe there's probably more, but uh, I think at times we put more faith in the circumstance than the God who cares for us through them. You know, I think of uh, Israel in the Old Testament. God has delivered them. He's parted the seas. He's done all these. Uh, he's uh, plagued the Egyptians. And man, it doesn't take them long to where like, 
well, now we're starving to death, right? <laughs> right? And now we don't have any water. Like, let's just go be slaves again. Like the circumstance just immediately, they're like, this, that's, God can't do that. Who cares if he just, you know, sent boils and gnats and darkness on, on the people of Egypt, but we just lived life and then we go to the, the sea and he parts it and we walk across on dry land and he destroys our enemies. So we put more faith in circumstances than the God who cares for us through them. Let me give you one more example. So, uh, uh about a year ago, um, we, uh, had a circumstance arise, a good circumstance. She's actually in the room. You see, much to our shock, (laughs) uh, my wife walked in my office and said, Kyle, we are having another child to which we're four years out of the game. Okay, like we don't have any stuff. We we have gotten a lot more sleep. Uh, You know, we. You know, we've been told by medical professionals that it's 99.9, and yet we have this circumstance arise. And I want to tell you honestly in the moment, while we were excited and grateful that man, God had given us this grace in our life, man, the circumstance seemed really big. (laughs) Safe place. And we found ourselves going like, we're too old for this, right? Do we have the energy? We have the finances. Where are we going to get all the stuff again? I mean, we, it, it created wrestling and, and, and tears and struggles and what is going on. And yet, guess what? Man, God saw us through. He began to surround us with people, began to encourage us and celebrate alongside of us. But also, man, almost immediately people would just step in and say, hey, I've got this. Hey, I've got this. And then, you know, you, uh, you know, our, the church, they threw us a shower and they provided all that. And we're just sitting back like, yeah, sometimes like in the middle of the night, we're like, do we have energy for this? But he still sees us through because we look at our other three children and we're like, well, we made it with them. And they're only going to need a little bit of counseling, right? <laughs> As of now, but like we continue to, it, we remember Secondly, we, I believe that we often make ourselves, in light of remembering, we make ourselves the hero of our remembering. And either believe that we can handle it all and we don't need God this time around. You ever do that? You ever, God ever work and move in such a mighty way, in a way that you're like, only God could have done that. And then a little bit later you were like, yeah, but I did some of it. Or maybe you get to believe, yeah, I did, that was me. So I don't need to remember. I just need to press in and press on. We get a hazy memory. You see, what happens is when hardship really comes, what do we do? We usually cower and run from it. Next, we man, we're people that just forget. We're so quick to forget who God is and what He's done for us. And then lastly, we follow the lie of a term called utilitarianism. That tells us that we are are to do everything in our power to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. Which leads us to try and forget all the pain and only remember the things that are pleasing to us through experiences and thought processes that make us happy and fulfill our desires. 
And I believe that like this is American culture to a T. American culture says do everything to avoid the difficulty and the hardship. Even fight if there is a threat that you might experience it. You see, as Christians, in comparison to other parts of the world that, that, uh, where Christians really suffer for their faith, we have to face the reality that we don't suffer well. And I think also we have to face the reality that, man, I don't know that we're prepared to. Because in some ways, when we read the Scriptures, I think we, we read it with the wrong eyes. I knew someone at one point in my life, and they, they told me this. They said, Kyle, I, I only want to think about good things. There's been too much sad in my life, and so I only want to think about the good things. And eventually they ran, and, and man, I, I believe that they're still running from all forms of that. But you know, the thing about that is that it never works. Because what happens is you lie to you more than anyone else and you deceive yourself. You see, we should not run from remembering hardship because in doing so, uh, man, in remembering the hard and how God has delivered us through the hard, we become aware of just how great the gospel is in our lives and living. You see, this is the threat of forgetfulness in the life of a follower of Jesus. And so the writer responds by calling them to remember and recall Because again, that's rooted in the story of God's people. All throughout the scriptures, you get moments where God calls his people to remember how he delivered them from their enemies. Well, why would he do that? Well, I believe that God calls us to that to combat the reasons I listed above. You see, because we live in a world that's broken by sin, we need to constantly be reminded that we have been redeemed by a God who has and is doing something about it. You see, it is finished, but one day, man, sin, death, the grave, like it'll be no more. And so here in the face of hardship, God calls them to remember. It, it, the writer says, you remember when once, once you were enlightened, which is a call back to their faith in the gospel's victory over all things? Remember when you understood and were enlightened to the grace of God. And because of that, man, you endured, the writer says. You persevered through a past hard struggle with suffering. That that word for struggle there is an athletic term. It's like you were in the trenches warring. And it was always fourth down, it seemed like. Now, now a couple of things here before we dive into the specifics of how they responded to in remembering. The first thing I want to say is that, man, the struggle is real. Like we need to uh, realize that, man, life is hard at times. But we're not to sit back. You see, the gospel calls us to the action of remembering. And as we see today, again, he's going to call us to responding. You see, we are not to be overcome, but we are to overcome by the word of our testimony, which is that Jesus is victorious. But the second thing in this is we realize that it's like we should not be surprised by hard struggle. Guess what? Jesus never promised us an easy life. He promised us eternal life. 
Therefore, we should not be surprised when the broken world acts and responds in broken ways towards us. We should not be surprised when hardship hits. Jesus says in this world, you will have what? Trouble. Hardship. He says, take heart for I have overcome the world. You see, we should expect it. But in expecting it, not that we should seek it out. But we should remember God's faithfulness through it. And we should respond with faith-filled perseverance. And so what's this hard struggle? Uh, Let's look at what this hard struggle and response look like in the past. The writer says, "Hey, hey, this is what you endured. You endured public reproach and affliction. Well, what that means is that uh, these uh, these Christians that are following Jesus, man, they would be insulted publicly for their faith. Jew and Gentile alike would look at them and say, you follow Jesus? Like, what are you doing? And they would insult them publicly. The actual wording there is that they would make a theater out of them. Also, we get the term affliction, which is the, it means that these insults put pressure on them to conform to the culture around them. They say, hey, not only are we going to insult what you believe, uh, man, if your belief doesn't align what we believe, we're going to pressure you. Anybody feel that? I think we all do. I love what happens because in the midst of it, you start getting these pictures of even how they're responding in the midst of it. It says that you, uh, as you dealt with this, you suffered together. The word there is you partnered which is the same word for why we use partnership here at the church. You see, we have the same calling. The writer goes on to say, not only were you uh, uh, afflicted, not only did you suffer reproach, but then some of you were imprisoned. But again, look at the response. In the face of others being in prison, it said that they had compassion on them. Now, now it's not that they just sit back and you say... Your so-and-so went to prison. God bless them. Just be with their souls. No, that, that's not the compassion it's talking about here. Actually, the c- compassion, it, it, the, the wording there is active. What it means is that they visited them. But not only did they visit them, they provided for them. In this culture and context, man, if you went to prison, man, you relied on other people outside to actually provide food, water, clothing. It says, man, you went to them and you fed them. You gave them water. You gave them clothing. Reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew 25. He's talking uh, to uh, the so-called religious and he, he, he begins to expound. He says, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me and sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The righteous then answer Jesus and say, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When do we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. See, again, that's our calling. But also, and I just want to say this, not in a a probably, but man, in an encouraging way. That's one of the things I love about this church about this people that God has brought together and is bringing in. It's, man, there's this, like, we love one another well. 
Man, it's almost like you, like something happens and you can't get a meal. Like it's like a race to get a meal sign up, right? <laughs> Who can do it first? Yeah, right? and like, it was, but it's not as a way to say, "Look at me." It's a way to say, "No, I care about these people." How we show up for one another, and man, may we never lose that. And then lastly, what we see is that they joyfully accepted the plundering of property. Now I think, man, a, a pro, reproach and affliction, right? Like we, we tend to handle that a little better. You know, right? Like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. They will hurt you. But for us, like we just, you know, I don't care about it. I don't care about them. Move on. But, and when people start trying to take our property, it's a different story, right? Especially in Texas. Don't tread on me. Come and take it. It's where many draw the line. You can have my freedom, but not my property. I'll give up certain things, but not my stuff, because it's my stuff in my castle. It's mine, mine, mine. But what we see here is an understanding. It says that they joyfully allowed it to happen. Not, not that they just said, hey, just come get what you want. Break into my house. Whatever. No, but like when people took it, they just said, okay, we have a, a greater reward in heaven. You see, they knew that they had a better treasure stored in heaven that would last. And so, for us, church, are our lives marked by remembering how the gospel emboldens us in the face of trial and hardship? Or are we spending all of our time trying to shore up and build up protections from hardship instead of trusting in the one who can actually see us through it all? You see, I believe so much of our time is trying to safe-proof our lives instead of walking in the faith of the eternal life we've received. We too quickly forget that the God who walked on water has also walked out of the grave. And in doing so, we struggle to believe that if God is the goal, then these are great days. Which again, I believe is why we need community. We're in this together, and so may we have compassion on one another in these moments while also calling one another as the writer does to remember God's faithfulness. Like we need to be less entrenched in complaints and more attuned to God's transformative work in the moment and the eternal victory to come. We need to remember the good news daily. We need to remember how God has brought you through daily. And we need to call one another to the same. We need to stop responding like the world around us. Now I don't want to discount the hard Because it's hard, but in not discounting the hard, I, I, I don't want us to give the difficulties more power than the reality of the resurrection in our lives. Like, like when was the last time you shared God's grace through perseverance with someone? When was the last time you said, hey, this is the hardship I'm going through. This is what God did. I believe that should be a natural part of our conversation. I believe that our missional community should be marked by that. As we sit around the table, we say, hey, this is what's going on in my life and this is what God's doing. This is how God's moving. This is how God is shaping. This is how God is transforming my heart. This is how God is bringing boldness to my life. And it's this type of emboldened remembrance that leads to further response in the rest of the chapter. And so let's close out chapter 10, beginning with verse 35. It says this. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. 
For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Alright, so in light of this call to remember God's path faithfulness, the, the writer calls those reading and us today to respond by not throwing away our confidence. This is a reminder of the warning and plea found in, in verses 26 through 31. And what the writer is getting at here is because of God's faithfulness and because the gospel, when understood and lived in light of, it, it leads to radical response. We should fight against turning from faith in Christ. Don't throw away your confidence, the writer says. Again, we have nowhere else to turn but Jesus, and therefore we have nothing else to lose. Because if our confidence is in Christ, we can trust that we have great reward, and therefore we persevere in faith. I think what the, I love what this does is this moment leads to a moment of realness where the writer, he, he tells those to whom he's writing in the face of, pers- of pressure uh, to, to turn aside. He says, actually, you need some endurance to continue on. But what he's saying is, yes, you have started well. Now finish the race well. The, the endurance here, it could be termed as steadfastness or aggressive Endurance. You see, this is what persevering faith does. It, by grace, finishes well. And sadly, and there are many that seem to start well but don't finish well. When I was in the seventh grade, I, I joined the track team and uh, they said, you're slow, so you're going to run the mile and two mile. To which I said, all right. I'd never run before. And I had a friend that was in high school and he said, yeah, Kyle, I I used to run the mile. Well, I ran it once and I said, "Okay, well, tell me how it went. And he said, well, he said, I'd only run short distance. And uh, so I and I didn't I wasn't trained. I didn't know what to do. The coach day of said, you're running the mile today. And so I got up to the starting block and they hit the gun and man, I took off. And that first 400 was blazing fast. He said, I was 100 meters in front of everybody. I crossed that 400 meter mark and I went, this is going to be a breeze. And I ran about 200 more meters and my legs seized up and my chest seized up and I couldn't breathe. And and I started noticing something, Kyle. He said, by the end of the second lap, people were passing me. And by the end of the second lap, I, I like the people that had passed me were almost passing me again. He said, I didn't have any stamina. And I said, okay, well, what was your time? And he said, well, at the end of it, about halfway through the fourth lap, I just walked off the track. <laughs> and I went, what? He said, yeah, I couldn't do it. I'd already lost, so why keep running? See, I love, like, there's this reality that as a church, like, guess what? We're called to not only start well in Christ, we finish well in Christ. Because, man, He perseveres us by His grace. But I think so often in the life of faith, we believe it's a sprint. And so we sprint from this thing to this thing to that thing. 
But I love what Eugene Peterson says. He says, man, it's a long obedience in the same direction. Like we need that tortoise faith. Right? We just keep persevering and moving along. Now at times do we run? Yeah, we need to run. But may we have endurance. May we persevere. We're called to finish well, trusting that He who began a good work will see it to completion. This call is then marked in verses 7 and 37 and 38 by a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2. So these words in Habakkuk 2 are actually that God tells this to the prophet because what the prophet has done is he's just been repeatedly complaining about the injustice that his God's people are facing, about the hardships. Essentially, God responds to Habakkuk by simply telling him to live by faith. God would actually do something similar to Job. The whole book of Job is Job, man, calling God to account. And then uh, at the end of Job, God says, all right, Job, dress for action like a man. What that means is put your big boy pants on. I'm going to call you to account. He says, where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did that? Really what he's saying is like, no, live by faith. You remember that I created everything. Like we are, we are the same. We are to live by faith. Have faith and live by that faith. Knowing that a future hope would come. And guess what? That future hope is Jesus. For Jesus would come as the righteous one of God. And He would live by faith. He would die in faith and resurrect as the author and perfecter of our faith. And because Jesus did not shrink back in the face of the greatest hardship any human ever faced, and that He bore the full weight of God's wrath, we who are in Christ are to respond with persevering faith. I love 39. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. But those who have faith and preserve their souls. Like That's our rallying cry, church. We are not to shrink back, but have faith. Therefore, if God is the goal, faith is the response in any and all circumstance, which truly means that these are great days. One more quote from If yesterday. Uh, Christine Kane was the last speaker, and, and she spoke in a similar vein, but she shared in the last session that as the church, this is not the time to stay safe, to live small, to not take risks. It's time to step up and live out the lives that we've been called to. Because again, what do we have to lose? Nothing ultimately. Maybe things momentarily, but in light of eternity, we lose nothing and gain everything. And so how do we respond to this? Well, I think we have two responses. First, we remember. I want you to take time, encourage you to take time this week to recall and remember the ways that God has been faithful through hardship. And, and man, I encourage you to write them down. This is what happened and this is how God moved. Now you might write and you don't have an answer yet. Maybe just, just wait to be continued. Next, I invite you or encourage you to respond in light of this text, but to respond with radical faith and endurance. Respond with radical faith and endurance in the face of trials. Respond with radical faith and endurance when temptation arises. 
If reproach and affliction comes, respond with radical faith and endurance. And radical faith and endurance partner with those who are struggling. Man, that, we need that. Like we, again, we need one another. You're not alone in your struggle. May we respond in radical faith and endurance as we grow in compassion and live out radical generosity. The generosity of our lives. And then may we respond in endurance. Again, it's athletic in nature that we grow in endurance. That we would build spiritual muscle. That we would grow in our reading of the Word and in prayer and in engaging in community and evangelism and in what it means to sacrifice. And so I'm going to have the team come back up and I just want to ask one more question as they come up. Where else do you have to go and what do you have to lose? And so that's what I want to invite us into now. It's a time of response. So for a few moments, I want to invite you to maybe reflect and recall. Maybe in that, maybe you need to, maybe as I listed those ways you seek to not remember, maybe you need to walk in some repentance for allowing circumstance to be greater than the God who sees us through. Maybe you've been seeking uh, ultimate pleasure while running from any sort of pain. Maybe you've just been forgetful. Maybe you've placed yourself as the hero of your story. But as you remember, I also call you to respond. And if you don't know Jesus today, if you don't know this hope, and I want to invite you to respond to that today. You can come talk to me. I would love to share with you the hope that is only found in Christ. Because if you don't know Jesus, I mean, like where you're going, as we saw last week, uh, man, is only to judgment. But also, like, you have everything to lose. So I want to invite you to that. But also, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to respond in remembering through the taking of communion. So we've got the bread and the cup up here. Again, they, uh, they are symbols that reminded us of exactly uh, what Jesus paid for us. And so uh, we'll have people up here presenting the elements. If you're a follower of Jesus in good standing with this church or your local church, uh, man, we want to invite you to come and share in communion. You can take the elements, take them back to your seat, and we'll share together as a community. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we ask that you abstain. Not for the sake of casting you aside, but for the sake of saying, hey, man, this is costly, and we want you to know what you're doing. We want you to know about life in Christ. And so again, come talk to me. And then we're going to sing together. And so I'm going to have uh, the Petties come forward. They're going to be standing on this side. I have the Myers come on the other side here, and they're going to present the elements on this side. And uh, once everybody's gone through... I'll lead us in partaking. But let me pray for us. Jesus, may we be quick to remember what you have done. And the good and the bad and in the highlands and the heartache as we sang earlier. I claim that you are the one that sees us through it all. And God, may that change the way we respond. 
May we respond in light of the victory that's only found in you. Uh, but God, may we respond in radical ways that proclaim the good news of the, of the gospel to the world around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.